uh, actually in the middle of a series conversation called Face Your Fears. And the primary reason we wanted to do this series was because we really do believe uh, that it's important for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, for those who call ourselves Christians, who've placed our hope and trust in Jesus, um, that we are to follow the, 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 setting, the, the uh, example and follow the command of Jesus where he told us not to be afraid. Matter of fact, the theme verse for this is from Paul uh, talking to Timothy. He says, you know, for God has not given us a, and read what's the word out loud, read it out loud. A spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind and all the versions of self-control and self-discipline. Like, like God has not given us the spirit of fear. It doesn't mean that fear is not natural, right? We're going to talk about that this week and next week. Not that fear isn't natural, but he doesn't give you a spirit of fear, this thing that overwhelms us, that overtakes us, that influences uh, our lives. Um, now, what we talked about last week, I'll give a quick recap is that some of us have uh, you know, things in our life that are rooted in fear, that are directing us, that are influencing us, that sometimes we don't even recognize. And that's because there's several faces of fear. All right? And so we just, I gave a quick list last week. I walked through this in more detail. Again, you'll have to go back and watch it or listen to it. Uh, but all these things are rooted in fear. Our, our perfectionism, our procrastination, our compromising, right? our worry and panic and anger, all these things are rooted in uh, a fear, in our impatience, our anxiety. Success is one that most people don't realize, but most people that are driven to success, actually that drive is driven out of a fear of failure. So it's actually rooted in fear, even though success is the goal. Apprehension and control issues. And I told you last week, the reason I had to put just control issues is because I could list them all off, but you know, our control issues have control issues, right? So that, that's just usually the way it is, Okay. Now, there's not only many phases of fear in terms of how, uh, how they can look and represent themselves in your life, but I also kind of gave you this visual last week um, of, of kind of how it looks and why does it influence what we do? Why does it influence our lives the way it does? And so I gave you this uh, quick visual. I wanted to talk about the kind of the passengers in a car, if you will, and, and I really didn't want you to ever get in a car again without thinking of this uh, particular exercise. So uh, in the car, what you've got, the voices you have, uh, usually in your thoughts, uh, in the back seat, I call them the naysayer and the worrier, okay? If you guys were here last week, what does the naysayer say? Do you guys remember? Probably, right? The naysayer is the probably voice in your head. Oh, that probably won't work. That's probably not going to happen. That's probably the worst idea you've ever had, right? Your kids are probably screwed up for life, okay? That's the, you know, the, they're the probably voice is the naysayer in your head and kind of, kind of speaking fear into you. The worrier are all the what-ifs, right? The worrier are all the what-ifs. Like, well, what if this doesn't happen? And what if I, I give all that I have and it's just not enough? What if I never find the person I'm supposed to be with in life? What if this doesn't work? What if I don't ever have enough money uh, to, to, to uh, feel financially secure? What if I can never retire, right? The what-ifs that are kind of in our heads. These are the backseat, sort of backseat drivers, if you will, of fear. And then I, I gave you the example, uh, everybody has these, you probably have one of these in your family too. Uh, they're in the back seat, but they want to be in the front seat. I call them the pop-up, you know what I'm talking about? They kind of lean forward, they're all in your grill. I call these the intrusive thoughts and feelings. This, these are the kind of the whispers in your, in your head, in, in, your, in your mind. These are where the things that you're feeling, fear wants to tell you the things you're feeling are the worst things you can be feeling. 
It wants to tell you that apprehension or that thing in your gut or that thing that you're kind of wrestling with, that that's really bad, that that's, that's something you need to worry about, that that's something you need to address, that that's something you need to, to, to fix. You know, they're usually unwanted. These thoughts and feelings are unwanted. They weren't, you didn't ask for them. And, the, and, and they're usually unwarranted sometimes, right? They don't even have, they're not even fully logical if you were to really work it out. They're unwarranted and often unwanted. And that's kind of the intrusive thoughts and feelings. A little bit more of a whisper, a little bit more of a deep-seated thing in your heart. And then we have fear. I call it fear in the front passenger seat. Fear in the front passenger seat is what I call the, the, the false prophet. The false prophet of fear um, wants to tell you, wants to direct you and navigate you and tell you the worst possible outcome you could possibly have, right? And the false prophet says it with such definitive language in your mind that you are convinced it's going to happen, right? That's why it's a false prophet, like, just, just convinced. If you go that direction, it's going to be bad. If you go, if you take a right here, you're going to fail. If you take a left here, it's going to be worse than you could possibly imagine. Every negative, worst-case scenario will play itself out in your mind because of the false prophet of fear. And then because of that, he wants to give you direction. He wants to kind of help you. Well, if you do, don't take a right, take a left. Do a U-turn, right? Stay where you are. Try to remain safe and in control. And that's really what it looks like when fear is at the wheel. When fear is sort of kind of taken over and is driving, it's this, this constant driving force in your life to be safe and in control. Meaning that you don't risk, you don't, you don't, you don't take a step out of faith, you don't, like, like you are self-assured, right? You're self-assured. That's what it looks like. You control everything. You are the master of your destiny. You are making sure that things work the way they need to work. And you don't even realize it, but fear is at the wheel, and your life is being driven by fear. And so last week, we talked about how Jesus taught his disciples how to deal with fear, and, and really an understanding of fear. And Jesus would echo what we would read in all of the, of the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New. He would echo the same phrase over and over again, which is, fear not, right? Don't be afraid. Fear not, feareth not, for all my King James people, right? Like that's, that, that would be Jesus. He would teach them. And he wasn't just saying it like the Old Testament might be read it. He was actually kind of, you know, taking them out on field trips and exercises and kind of helping them work it out. Because we talked last week about how all these voices remain present in our lives, even though Jesus was saying, don't give in, don't let these influence you. Where is your faith? And so he gave us this contrast of fear with fear and faith. And as we talked about last week, really fear is all rooted in what could be. Our fear is always in what could be, what could happen, what did happen and therefore could happen again. But our faith, every time Jesus taught about faith, he taught it about it from a standpoint of who he is. So just understanding that difference, when Jesus gave us the contrast, fear is always in the what, but faith is always in the who, always in the who. And so last week, we just kind of landed at this place of knowing that, look, we're either driven by fear or we're driven by faith. That's just the, re- the way it is. You're either driven by fear or you're driven by faith, meaning there's just something, the overwhelming thing that guides your life and gives you direction in your life is going to be rooted in fear or going to be rooted in faith. And last week, I gave you just a few examples of how Scripture's been given to us, how the Word of God's been given to us to help us overcome those fears, to help us kind of work that out. Because God wants to help you, wants to help me overcome 
our fears. This is for Isaiah 41. It says, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I really do believe that's God's desire. That he wants to give you the strength. He wants to empower you and he wants to help you. He wants to guide you in terms of how you can live with all of these voices, all of these voices that remain. Because remember last week we said, it's, you know, to live this fearless life, to be fearless like the disciples would end their life fearlessly defending the gospel and, and start launching the church and living out this faith. To be fearless is not the absence of fear, but it's the presence of courage. It's the presence of who our faith is in. But the reality is most of us, when it comes to really being driven by faith, is we don't know what that looks like. So what does it look like? Like we do better with examples, and I know that that's true. You know, we do better with examples of what does it mean? What does it look like for you and for me to, to really live this life driven by our faith versus driven by fear? Because we can usually come up with several examples of what it looks like to be driven by fear. Well, I want to look at an old passage, a passage in the Old Testament that I love. I love teaching this, uh, this passage um, when it comes to fear. It only mentions fear once, but I just want you to know it's six verses. It's not real long, but it is packed. It is power-packed as an example of what it looks like to have a life driven by faith. This is a psalm that was written, and I don't know if you know much about the psalms, but uh, many of the psalms were written by David, and we talked about David a few series ago, King David of the Israelites, and, and whether, from, you know, whether it was old stuff he wrote as a kid or stuff he wrote as king, a lot of the psalms were kind of like poems and journals and you know, things that you would, he would write as a, maybe a song itself or a psalm to, to kind of encourage himself, to encourage others. That's how they were written, that's kind of how they were formed. And so here's one from David. Psalm 23. Many of you maybe know this. It was like, you know, quilted on a pillow somewhere in your grandma's house or framed up. You know, you hear it read at a lot of funerals, right? Psalm 23, but I'm telling you, this is an incredible, incredible, incredible passage about a life driven by faith as an example. So let's read that together. I'm just going to read through the whole thing. The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies, and you honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings." Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. That's just six verses, just packed. I'm just telling you, just packed full of examples and illustrations and content for us to read through and actually learn what it looks like to overcome our fear, to overcome not just this life driven by fear, but to move to a place where our life is driven by faith. So I'm going to pull out, just to let you know ahead of time, I'm going to pull out six categories, six areas of our life that I believe he addresses in these six verses that I believe can help. Now, I, think, again, I think that's what God wants to do. He wants to strengthen you and he wants to help you not be driven by fear. So the first, I want to say the first is simple because it's a really short part of the introduction of his verse, but the first is provision. Understanding 
provision. He starts it off and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Any King James people in the house learn this another way? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? I shall not want. That was the King James Version way of saying, I lack nothing, right? I have all that I need. There's two statements being made here by David. The first and foremost statement is, the, is sort of the perspective that he has, which is that there is a shepherd, because, you know, David was a shepherd. He's like, there's a shepherd in my life, and it's God. God is the shepherd. He's the master. He's the Lord. He's the one in charge, which puts David in the perspective of, who am I? I'm the sheep, right? So he says, the Lord is my shepherd, but then he gives this statement because, as a result of, like, because of my perspective, because I understand this, that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I have all that I need. I shall not be in want. That's what it looks like when the Lord is my shepherd, that there's an understanding of provision. And yet, this is one of the biggest areas that people are driven by fear when it comes to their money. You know, the, how you get it and what you have to do to hustle, to strive, to get, to get enough, to get more, your careers, your jobs, the relationships that you're after, the friendships and the looking for the one, you're looking for that one that's going to solve, solve everything in your life, your possessions, your material things, your comfort your security, feeling like you're financially secure and emotionally secure in your family, and future needs, meaning that there's things you know that are coming that you want to be prepared for. This is, is constantly in our minds because we are more than likely usually driven by fear in this area. Because not many of you, and I say not many of you, meaning not many of the believers in the West understand and live in the fullness of God being our provider. Right? That when it comes to money and friendships and opportunities and emotional health and physical, like, like God does all of these things and provides all these things for us. He is our provider. Even if it's just providing the opportunity for us to be able to do something, it still comes from Him. And the reason most of us don't get that is because, I'm, you know, and you can be honest with me, how many of you have really lived out this week? You've lived out this whole week and you haven't spent a single moment thinking about the things you don't have. How many can honestly say that, right? You've spent this whole week and you haven't thought about the things that you want and feel like you need that you don't currently have. No, most of us live there because most of us are driven by fear. And yet this statement, this pregnant statement that introduces uh, Psalm 23 is that, no, when there's a perspective of who provides, I have a perspective of who's in charge, and I understand that because of that, the Lord is my provider. He, I, I have all that I need. I lack nothing. It says it this way, in, uh, in Paul says it this way in Corinthians, he says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having, read it out loud, all that you need. In all things, at all times, in all places, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That God is setting you up to do the work he's called you to do and is able to give you all that you need. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I lack nothing. I shall not want. I have all that I need. I'm just, I'm just here to tell you that there's six things we're going to pull out of this, but this might be the only thing you need to wrestle with for the next week and the next month and the next year because you have never fully come to the understanding that God is your provision. That everything, everything that you think you need to strive to get and to achieve and to work for and to go after and to chase after, everything that you need, God wants to provide. He is your provision. That's what it looked like to live this, this life driven by faith is to really be able to get a hold of that and live out of that truth. Second is fulfillment. Now, we're going to go, there's a lot here, but I wanted to choose a word that kind of encompassed this. So he says, he goes on to verse 2, he says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. He restores my soul. There's so much here. There's so much here in terms of what God provides, in terms of satisfaction and joy and rest, right, and peace and fullness. So I wanted to find a word that just kind of encompassed that, and that's fulfillment, that he's there to fulfill, not just give you all your needs, but to fulfill it so you can be, you know, we're all chasing to be happy. We're all trying to be happy. We're all trying to find the thing that will make us whole. And here's what God said he would do in terms of the, the, David's perspective is he's my shepherd. I don't need anything because he fulfills it all. Most of us are driven by the fact that we are chasing success because we think it will fulfill us. We are chasing family, finding the right person to marry, finding the one, because we think that that will fulfill us, finding the right relationships, right? The goals, trying to crush these life goals, trying to balance the chaos in our life because we think that will fulfill us, that that will make us happy. We become very short-sighted. We become very outcome-driven. That we're only need, we only can do what we need to do to get us the things we feel like we need. Driven by fear is chasing after all of those things that we are trying to figure out how to help us be fulfilled. And yet God says, even through David, that he does these things. He gives us rest. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He restores the soul. Jesus said it this way. He says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, that's the only thing that the thief is interested in doing. And yet Jesus said that my purpose, the reason I'm here, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Maybe you've read a version that says, I came to give them life to the full, an abundant life. But the enemy is going to use your fear. He's going to use these voices. He's going to use this direction to pull you away, to pull you in the direction that you think you need to do all these things in order for you to be happy, in order for you to find those, those things that will fulfill you. Jesus said, no, I, I came, it's me, I came to give that to them, to you. A rich and satisfying life, life to the full. And I love this from Psalms, one of the Psalms of lament. There's a part of this that's, that's lamenting, but it's, it goes on to say that it is useless for you, talking to God's people, to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working, 
for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. It's another version that says, God gives to those beloved even while they sleep. And let's just face it, we are in the culture of hustle. Nod your head if you're with me, right? We are in the culture of hustle, that we need to have the side hustles and the jobs and the things, and we need to chase after it and run after it and try to find all those things, again, for purpose, for joy, for satisfaction, for happiness. And yet here's the psalm, and here's Jesus saying, but I came to give that to you. It is useless for you to try to continue to do and continue to fight after and strive after all the things that this world has tried to tell you will fulfill you. When Jesus says, I came to give you a rich and satisfying life, to fulfill you. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't lack anything because he gives me rest. Because he guides me down these things that I enjoy and brings joy and peace and, and hope to my life. Because he's the one who restores the soul, who refreshes the soul. It's that soul care, beyond physical, beyond emotional. He's the one who does that because he's the one who fulfills. The next is direction. Psalm 23, 3 says, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, this is one of those that I really do believe plays itself out in our lives probably most, we probably recognize this one the most in terms of fear. Because we understand that we might, be, we might be striving to succeed ourselves and we may not have the right perspective, we may not understand God's provision, but where we see fear rise up in us is when we make decisions. So we're trying to make the right call, we're trying to get direction, you know, go the right direction. And being driven by fear is all these things. Am I making the, right, the wrong or bad decision? Am I making the right decision? Should I marry him? Should I ask her out? Should I take this job? Should I take this opportunity? Should I do this and should I do that? Should we move? Should we stay? Because it's all driven by future outcomes. Am I going to be where I need to be? Am I going to be where, you know, is it going to deliver for me what I'm really hoping for in the future? What if I do this thing and decide to do this thing, but I miss out on this other thing? That's what FOMO really is, right? right? People call that, you know, when they're missing a party, but that's not really what FOMO is. FOMO is like, I'm going to choose something, but what if I chose the wrong thing and the right thing came along and I missed it, right? That's what that fear is. And purpose, meaning that is what I'm doing going to bring me satisfaction? Again, purpose, you know, kind of significance in, in my life making these decisions, and yet God wants to be the one that helps you and strengthens you and guides you. This is in Psalm. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye upon you. God wants to give you, he's given you his ideals and instructions. He's given you his word to help guide you. He doesn't want the false prophet to be your, your little GPS. He's given us the Holy Spirit for that reason, to be able to give us direction, to be able to nudge us in the way we need to go. His loving eye is upon you for that reason, to help guide you. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs that trusting in the Lord, we want to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and we want to lean not on our own understanding. What that means is we're not going to lean on our gut or our intuition. We're not going to lean on cultural wisdom. We're not going to lean on social norms. We're not going to lean on the things that are just happen to be the way they are right now. 
We're not going to lean on our own understanding. We're going to trust in God, and we're in all ways, we're going to submit to him. We're going to live his way, and he will make our paths straight. He will make our paths straight. And I'm telling you, for most of us, direction Direction is one of those where we really need to understand that God is the one who's directing. And, and I'm telling you, anytime the backseat drivers and the pop-ups and, the, and, and the fear really can get a hold of directing your life, it's always going to direct you away from God. It's always going gonna, gonna, gonna to seem wise in the moment. It's going to seem like it's, it's there for a reason to protect you and to keep you safe. But I'm telling you, it's going to pull you away from the ideals and the instructions of God. Because he's here to guide you. That's what he does. And here's David saying, look, the Lord's my shepherd. That's my perspective. And I lack nothing. Lack nothing. He provides all of this for me to fulfill my life. And he is the one who's going to guide me on the right path for his namesake. Now, I want to just make a quick statement about that. David, King David, the guy who would be known after God's own heart, right? He'd be the man after God's own heart in his legacy. He had a close relationship with God. But David, in his writing, in his recording this, and him writing it down, I love the fact that in this moment, he decides to remind himself and to remind us why God does all of these things, okay? Why he's your shepherd, why he wants to give you all that you need and provide all things for you. You know, that for him to get all this fulfillment and satisfaction and to be guided and the right paths for his life, it's not because David was so awesome. It's because God is awesome. It was it was David kind of reminding himself, and and I I think this is important because sometimes in our sort of narcissistic, individualistic culture. We can approach Scripture and God that way to think that he died for us and he loves us and we're the apple of his eye and it can just be all about us. And it's not all about us. He does all these things. He's your shepherd. He provides. He fulfills and he will guide you and give you the direction you need in your life because he is great, because he is good because of who he is, for his namesake, for his fame, for his glory. That's just a reminder, I believe, David put in there for himself that we need as well. Last three things. It takes a little bit of turn here, and I'm using the words protection and power because this is an area in which David begins to go down what some of the common things look like for us in our life. He says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. This is really important. The the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest valley, this was a very real place. David understood this. Again, he was a shepherd using some illustration like there was was always going to be a common area in which if you went down that path, if you went down this way, that there was an opportunity for death to come, that that you could go through the valley and it's a, you're vulnerable, right? You're vulnerable here. And, there are, and there's wolves, and there's enemies, and there's people that, that might want to come out and get you. And he says, no, that's real. That's common. That's something that everybody experiences. And so even when I walk through those things, I'm not going to fear. Why? Because you are with me. 
There's a protection. There's a power by which David wants to operate from to be driven by faith. He says it this way. This is in, in uh, I believe this is Psalm. Oh, no, this is, I've again, exa- examples of being driven by fear in this area is, again, safety. That's why we're so driven for safety. It's why we're driven so much to have our control issues kind of keep ourselves in our hands because it's our strength that we trust in, not his strength. We will then look for functional saviors, okay? Functional saviors are those, are those people and those things that we are going to look to to fix the thing that needs to be fixed right now, okay? Boyfriends and girlfriends can be functional saviors. Jobs can be functional saviors. Money, you know, power, these things come into our life as functional saviors, meaning that they are the thing that's going to save us in the moment. But it leads to idolatry, which is that we are going to put our hope and our trust in those things. We're putting our hope and our trust in the job we find. We're putting our hope and our trust in the money we can make. We're putting our hope and our trust in the power and position that I can achieve and attain. And we'll compromise. And this is what I said last week. I gave you the C.S. Lewis quote. But at the end of the day, if we are driven by fear and we, have to, and we start worrying about them and the valley of the shadow of death is upon us, we're going through it, we will compromise in a heartbeat. We will compromise the values of God. We will compromise what, God kn- what you know God wants you to do and what he's called you to do. You will compromise. You will go another direction in order to feel safe in the moment, in order to control it in order to keep things kind of within your own power. Which is why when Paul said this, when Paul said, or I'm going to go to the two verses here real quick. This is in Psalm where he talks about the distress of his heart. He says, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me, and he set me free. How did he set him free? He says, the Lord is for me, so I will not have fear. I will not have fear. What can mere people do to me? Okay? This is the psalmist. What can really happen? And then he says, the Lord is for me. He will help me. He will be there. That's what his promise was. I won't get triumph of those who hate me because there will be people who hate me. And he goes on to say, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. We're not going to put our hope in these functional saviors and this idolatry in people around us or what people can do for us or what we ourselves can do. Our power and our protection come from God because he is with us. Paul says it this way when he says, I can do all things, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Because he, you know, this verse is another bumper sticker that either means everything to you or it means nothing to you, right? It does. Because either you live this way or you don't. That it's all in his strength, it's all in his power, so therefore his power and his protection are what you are trusting in or you're going to pay attention to all the fear that's in you, influencing you. And helping you want to control everything. When he said, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm not going to fear because you are with me. How does he know that? Well, when he goes on to say, your rod and your staff protect and comfort me, that's part of the illustration he's giving. Like the rod and the staff of the shepherd, it was there to kind of poke and prod and kind of keep the, the sheep in line. But you know, it was also to kind of remind the sheep of the fact that he was present. It was to remind him that he's there. Those guiding, the guiding principles of, of what the rod did. And the staff was there as the, as the protection, as the, as the picture of the protection that he was under. And the power. Why? Because again, using the illustrations, listen, sheep do, 
Wolves do not fear sheep, right? They're just walking appetizers. That's all they are, right? Like, wolves don't fear sheep. Never. There's no reason for wolves to fear sheep. Wolves fear the shepherd and the staff. Everybody nod your head, right? The enemy does not fear you. You and your strength and in your ability to control and keep your things safe and to make things work out the way you want to work out, the enemy does not fear that. He is never going to be, whoa, I don't need to mess with them. No, the enemy fears the shepherd, the staff, the power and protection of who is with you, right? Last two, peace. We see peace in these verses. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Another version is you prepare a table for me and you in the presence of my enemies. And this is, this is a tough one because peace, peace for you and me, peace for us, we want peace not in the midst of the storm but in lieu of the storm, right? We want peace to come and be there because there are no enemies, because there is no trouble. But yet, David is very clear, and you'll see this in other scriptures as well. David's very clear to say, no, you, you've prepared this table for you and me. You've prepared this feast in the presence of actual problems, in the presence of hardships, in the presence of, of enemies. Like, he, doesn't, he never promises to pluck us out of them, out of, our, out of our problems or out of our hardship. And believe it or not, he never, never, he never promises to remove the hardship fully. He never promises to remove the hardship and get it out of your proximity. This is, this is where you, get, you really the rubber hits the road in terms of what kind of peace he really is offering, this feast of peace, if you will. It goes on in Deuteronomy, because this is, again, the voice of the Lord speaking to his people. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified or don't be afraid or terrified because of them. And when that, that's written there because there was a them to be terrified of. There were problems. There were enemies. And he says, but don't be terrified of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you. Don't be fearful of them because God is with you. Paul says it this way, we want to be anxious about nothing, we want to worry about nothing, but instead pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He's done. And he goes on to say, you will then experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. You may have heard it this way, it's the peace that passes understanding. And where this comes out in our lives and when the rubber hits the road in terms of, of things in our life, it's usually all of the things that are out of our control completely. Okay? Now we're talking about evil. We're talking about the evilness we see, the darkness in this world that is out of our personal control. We're talking about sickness and health, things that come out of the blue that there's no way you had any idea was coming. You're talking about death and other things that are out of our... This is where the peace Comes to, comes to pass because it does not mean that we will not experience those things. I believe Scripture makes that very clear to all of us. It does not mean we will not experience the things that are out of our control that will cause us to want to be afraid and to function out of fear. But the constant promise is that, no, 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 
I am with you. I'm going to be with you. I want to guide you. I want to be there for you. I will provide all that you need right here in this moment when the doctor hasn't called yet, right? When you got the call and it wasn't the news you wanted, right? When that person passed out of the blue, it it was a shock to everyone. When another shooting happens, when something happens in your neighborhood that is so evil you can't even possibly imagine, God said, well, I've, I've prepared something for you and for me because I'm going to be with you in the presence of all that. It's going to be there. I'm promising to be with you. And you've probably met a few people like this where they're experiencing a hardship in their life, and it's completely out of their control. And they're not denying what's going on, and they're not ignoring it. But for whatever reason, you look at their life, and you see a peace in them that you do not understand. That's this peace that exceeds and goes beyond what we can understand. And we're driven by faith. The last is grace. He goes on to say that you honor me, God, by anointing my head with oil and my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? This is grace. Let's just be honest. If we can be honest for a moment, you and I don't really deserve any of the things that we just talked about. We don't honestly deserve to have all of our needs met. To receive the rich and satisfying life, we don't necessarily deserve to, be, to, to find complete fulfillment in one person that loves us and directs us and guides us, that protects us, that, gives, that, that surrounds us by his power. And even when there's hardship and even when there's danger and even when there's enemies, he's, he's given us a feast of peace in the midst of that. We don't deserve that. That's what grace says. He says, you've chosen to anoint my head with oil, and I overflow with blessings. That's what grace is. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It is the unearned, unachievable favor and love of God on our lives. John says it this way, that such love has no fear. This is the love he's talking about. This love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. It casts out all fear. Why? If we're afraid, it's for the fear of punishment. It's for the fear of what could be and what could happen. And this shows us that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. When we are driven by fear, worried about what could be and what could happen and what the results will be and the outcomes will be, when we are driven by that, we have not been living in nor experiencing this grace and love that has been poured out to us. Paul says it this way in Romans, the spirit that you've received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, you, brought, brought about your adoption into sonship. And by him we're able to cry, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit that, that now indwells you came out of a, something you didn't even deserve. 
It's not, not to become, it's not like you were owned by the, by the enemy and now you're owned by God. It was like, no, you were owned and you were slaves to your sin, but now you are adopted. You have a name, you've been called out. God says, you are mine now as a father and a son, as a father and a daughter. That's the relationship that he has offered because of grace. Grace. Now, any six, any one of these six things, okay, just write them down, take a picture with your phone. Any one of these six things can radically change your world. They can. Any one of these six things that you begin to grapple and you begin to wrestle with and you begin to land on can change how you function and how you live your life, whether you're driven by fear or driven by faith. Any one of the six of them. All of them. All of them. As David writes this out as a reflection of his life, you can truly be fearless. You can experience that rich and satisfying life that he has offered to you. And maybe there are moments in which you will experience it. Maybe there are moments in which you'll feel it. Maybe there are moments when you're like, you're on the mountain, man, and I'm telling you, you're going to start seeing all of these things, and you're going to start believing all of these things, and you're going to start leaning into all of these things, but then something's going to happen. A storm is going to come. An earthquake will start to shift. The, the foundation you think you have will begin to rumble. And depending on whether you really believe this, depending on whether you, it's really in you, will depend on how quickly you move back to a spirit of fear. I'm just telling you. God did not promise anything other than he would be with you. He's our provider. He's our shepherd. He's going to give you all that you need. He's going to provide all these things. But he does all that because he's with you. It's a relationship. It's not, it's not based on the outcome. It's based on who he is. That we're driven by faith. Paul, or uh, the Isaiah, as a prophet of God, speaking to God's people, said it this way. He said, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you and I have called you by name. You are mine. That's the adoption, right? I've called you by name. You are my people and I am your God. And here's what he says. When you go through the deep waters, read the words out loud. Okay, we'll try it again. When you go through the deep waters, what? I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We're going to sing a song in response today. This is kind of how we're going to close our service out. But I want you to, to, to listen to these words and respond in these words, this song that really echoes the truth of this, okay? Really echoes the truth of the whole day. That what we have is we have this opportunity to engage in a relationship with God and for him to be with us. And when it comes to reasons to fear, when it comes to the things in our life where the rubber hits the road, when we really do have reason to fear... He didn't say that you wouldn't have reason to fear. He didn't say that 
Relationships weren't going to crash and burn. He didn't say that circumstances out of your control were going to infiltrate your life. He didn't say that sickness wouldn't come. He didn't say that hardships wouldn't come. He never said that those things will not exist in your life. What he said was, even through the prophet Isaiah, is that when you walk through those waters, I'll be with you. When you have to walk through the fire, I'll be there. You will not be consumed. When you go through that river of difficulty, I'm the one that's there. We are driven by faith because we remember the who our faith is in. So would you stand up with me this morning? This is going to be our, I'm going to come up in a little bit and pray, so don't, don't go anywhere, but we're going to respond with a song. And if you're not a singer, that's fine. Just let these words minister to you. It's not a very difficult song to sing, so if you can sing, you know, just get in the rhythm and the groove and make a joyful noise, all right? That's what we do. But just, just let the words of the song really begin to drive home what we've talked about today. Let's sing. There's a grace when the heart is on the fire. <coughs> Across that bear. 
I asked Shin to, to pause there because that, that phrase in my mind is a, is a tough one because believing what we want to believe and reading what we know is true is one thing. But that statement, nothing stands between us, is a difficult thing to achieve. And for far too many of us, for far too long, our fear has been the thing standing between us and the life God has promised to us. Our fear, our, our desperation, our anxiety, our worry, our concerns, our perfectionism, our procrastination, our fear of failure. These are the things that stand in the way and stand between all of the promises of God and the life you're experiencing right now. So what I want to do today as we sing the rest of this song, we have about maybe a minute left of the song and we're going to sing these truths out together. But if you would like to pray and have, have me pray for you to remove this fear from being in between you and God, to really make a stand today, to make this kind of a, a catalytic moment so you can walk out of here with, a, with an anchor of a desire and a, and a choice that you've made that you do not want fear to stand between you and God anymore. And if you'd like that to be the case, you'd like me to pray for you, I'm just going to ask you to come stand with me. Just come and stand up around this. Come, come during the song and stand around this stage. I'd love to pray for you when the song is over and have us as a church pray together to really see this become a truth in our life. So if that's you, I want you to come and join me this morning. no other name but the name that is Jesus. He was and still is and will be through it all. Come on, made the space between all the things that seem Joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you
just join me in prayer this morning. Father God, we just, oh, that's a, it's a hard thing to grasp sometimes that we're going to count joy, every heartache, every circumstance, every hardship. And we count it joy because that's where you will be with us. But the promise is that we don't need to be afraid. We do not need to be driven by fear because you are here. So God, I'm praying specifically for those that came forward this morning that, that don't want anything to stand between them and everything you've called them to, God. I want you to place this moment as an anchor in their soul and in their heart that they are, they are looking towards you as their shepherd. They are trusting in you to provide all that they need, all the joy and satisfaction and rest and fulfillment and direction. God, that they want to trust in your power and in your protection for their lives, not in their control, not in their strength. And God, they want to rest in the peace that passes all understanding, in the grace that they do not deserve and yet overflows in their hearts and lives. God, I pray for this whole church. I pray for the, the movement of God to make us fearless, not the absence of those voices and the absence of, of reasons to fear, but God, that we will be fearless because of who you are and because you are here with us. May that be the place we all are as we leave here today. We thank you and we praise you. We give all the honor and glory to you, Jesus. Amen.